G'day, everybody. Welcome back to Drones Down, the podcast. Uh, today, I'm going to be your host. My name is Danny, and with me, we have the crew, uh, Ty, Brendan, and Sean. How are you guys going today? Uh, good, mate. Danny. Yeah, good. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, today's a special one. We've got uh, Isaac Palmer from ABCRM joining us. Hey, um, guys. Good um, Isaac. Hey. Right. Um, I guess I'll tell everybody a little bit about you and then um, we can get started um, on a little bit of a grilling. <clears throat> Sorry, question. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys. So uh, Isaac leads AVCRM operations team uh, for both the RPAS and aerodromes. With a varied background, he entered the compliance world back in uh, 2017 with a keen RPAS interest in both agricultural tech and emergency services. AVCRM works with a wide client base um, to assist the growth in of the sorry, of the Australian RPAS industry, both nationally and abroad, Isaac is also involved with uh, with various industries work and working groups. What can you tell us about yourself? Thanks, yeah, pleasure to be here, guys. Um, really excited to see what you guys are doing and um, be a part of it, especially early on. So um, great work. But um, yeah, I guess um, expanding on what what Danny said there is I started out originally, I didn't really have too much interest in aviation. Um, I ended up, I was at uni doing, I finished my geophysics degree right in the time where sort of the mining world collapsed um, back in the 2010, 2011. So no opportunity for a job unless I wanted to move to Singapore and sort of all those offshores, which I wasn't sort of interested in. So I ended up working for catering management for stadiums. So around a few different stadiums around New South Wales being Wollongong and um, assisted out up at ANZ and all that sort of stuff for football, concert events, that sort of stuff. Um, from there on the side, I opened up a wildlife management business and I was also running, well, I'm still currently running, but I've got a 1,000-acre farm um, within the family. So it's a sheep and cattle farm and a bit of mixed cropping as well. So that sort of is where I got my interest for, for the RPAS world. I went into the multispectral imaging and the data collection for the for the farming side and then the thermal imaging and the th thermal spotting for wildlife in the wildlife management side. I was doing a lot of conservation work, um, contract shooting and um, wildlife management planning. So I got into that. I ended up getting a contract for a few airports around um, sort of New South Wales, so just doing wildlife management for there and um, wildlife mitigations. So I ended up getting my aerodrome reporting officer certificate, which allowed me to operate at the airports by myself without having to have an escort. Um, got into the aerodrome regulation consulting, and then from there I ended up in AVCRM. So... I um a little bit about AvCRM is that it started off um, it's an Australian company. There's a small team of us. There's four directors. They're all um, aviation background. Um, they come from air, air, airspace, airport management, and the RPAS world. So they've got an aerodrome management platform that does all the compliance and risk management for aerodrome operations. So I was sort of at the right place at the right time. They were looking for an ops person. I was very excited to get out of the catering ninety-hour weeks. I know my wife was as well. We all know that feeling. Half of us have come from hospitality of some sort. <laughs> exactly. So it's pretty rough. And, um, yeah, right space, the right time. That's where I sort of actually got into what I, you know, can and can't do with a drone. Um, what sort of then, time frame was that? When you so that? that was, yeah, 2017 is when I joined AVCRM. So I'd been flying probably two or three years on and off. Um, before that, obviously, just for just for my own personal benefit or those conservation jobs with the, the early thermals. Um, but yeah, so I've been at AVCRM since then and haven't really looked back. That's awesome, man! Very cool. I'm sure um, the family farm was good for testing out different um, techniques and whatnot as well. Yep, definitely showed me what I shouldn't do, and I think it was <laughs> an expensive first first few months learning how to fly. <laughs> Isn't it always? Yeah. What yes. sort of drones were you using at that time? So the, the Phantom 2 is where yep. I started and then Phantom 3 and I was strapping my own like sequoias onto them and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all, the, all the stuff that, you know, looking back on was a bit risky but got there in the end. 
and I've oh. had some of the like the disco parrots and and that sort of stuff as well. Okay. Was was most of the wildlife conservation style stuff? Was that more just tracking them and and, and seeing where their movements are going around in, yeah. in in their habitats, essentially? A bit of both. It was um, probably 50-50, so half that, and then the other half was actually thermal spotting and removing of predators. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, just it just made it so much easier. Yeah, to find them at night, um, a lot yep. less disrupt disruptive for the actual native population we're actually trying to protect. Yep. So, um, you know, and that was to that was you know 2016. So the kit that the guys that are doing it now with is far superior. It's incredible. So how, how do you, how do you know what? Sorry, Brendan. I was going to say, how do you know what what to start out with? Like. There obviously wasn't a lot of information out there for you, so just trial and error, more or less, um, and that's why I was not sort of not RPAS specific kit. So I was getting a thermal like monocular and literally strapping it to the drone, putting it up, bringing it back down, quick replays and general general areas. So it was just finding that you know this works, this doesn't work, and away we go. Crazy how um, how all the solutions have changed now. You know, you can almost buy a Mavic turnkey solution right there with everything kind of in it. Well, that Mavic Enterprise Advance is a phenomenal piece of kit. I don't know why you need anything else. It's true. Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. So are you going out with a, a crew of people? So you were you were operating the drone and sort of spotting them and giving them a hit, telling them where exactly the predators are, and then they would go out and obviously eliminate the the threat. Yeah, so there's two or three of us in, in yep. sort of our, our operation. So okay. we'd all just sort of take turns in, in what we were doing. So it was a fun little gig, but still do I still do that on the side a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, not with the drones anymore. Okay. Avserum, um, we sort of, everyone at Avserum, we made the conscious decision not to operate anymore. Um, so we don't want to, obviously, because we supply to all of our clients across Australia, um, we don't want to compete with our clients. Mm. Um, so I still run the wildlife management, but not from the RPA space. Right. Okay. So what type of clientele are requesting that sort of work? So my my first my first job for the wildlife management side um, was actually for a Catholic school, Catholic girls' <laughs> school, and it was removing pigeons from a quadrangle. Right. <laughs> That's Which totally is always a you know walking around a, a private girls' school at, at night carrying an air rifle. Um, <laughs> that's my very first job, and it's stuck in my mind. Wow. But otherwise, it's people like the local land services, um, community organisation wires. Could be anyone. Yep. Down to the actual local farmer itself that yeah, just okay. has a wild dog problem or etc. Very cool. That is, that is really cool. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Just another world that you can utilise the tech. It's crazy. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And I guess it's amazing how big some of the, the land is as well, right? So it's like like you said, you needed to use a drone at the time, otherwise you're walking in by foot trying to solve these things. So. Oh, I know. If you think about one of the directors of AFCRM, Jonathan King, he before he came on here, he used to fly... Um, he was a pilot for a cattle station up in Queensland. And you think of the millions of hectares that they sort of operate, it's just you can't comprehend it. Mm. It's yeah. enormous to manage that sort of it takes you three days to drive from one side of the farm to the other. Yeah, incredible. Crazy oh. to think about. So for larger properties like that, would you be using quadcopters or fixed wings? Oh, well, luckily I never had anything that big. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really have the experience. Like I think the largest <laughs> I did was probably around the 1,500 um, acres or the 1,000 hectares sort of sort of thing. So mm. it was all, for the thermal spotting, it was all quadcopters. Nice. Mm. Yeah. You, I realistically, you... oh, sorry. No, you go. I was just going to say something like the M300 is obviously perfect for that these days. Mm. Yeah. I was just going to ask, do you see now from where you were, back in 2016 to what the tech is now, are you seeing more that space sort of adopting that technology a little bit quicker um, or is it more still a little bit 
unsure and they're they're kind of testing the water still. It's a very that sort of interesting. So the contract shooting and the conservationists, it's a very I find it's a very old industry. So it's been a lot of it's a lot of people that have been around there for a long time. So the licenses and the certificates and all that that you have to have to do that sort of work, it's quite hard to get, mm. but it's quite easy to maintain it once you've got it. So I, I know a guy um, that sort of operates out in the middle of New South Wales and he's picking up the drones and he's sort of really jumping on it, really embracing it. Um, he's um, doing it, but I don't know of many others. But I know there's a lot of, um, obviously, you'll see um, people like Debbie Saunders at Wildlife Drones and Rencon Air and Land. So they're doing a lot of koala spotting with thermal thermal drones for forestry organisations. So it's definitely coming up um, but from different sort of aspects. It's more, um, do, you, do you think it's more like operators pushing the tech into that industry or is it more the industry sort of trialling it out or is it a bit of a mix? I would say that it's the operators bringing it in. Okay. From my perspective, because the operators are like, Q, I know QUT is doing a lot of stuff with koala spotting, thermal koala spotting, and they're bringing out that and same, as I say, with some of the forestry corporations, they're bringing it out because, hey, it's a lot easier. They can pinpoint so they can spot something, they can geotag it, they can say this is exactly where we saw all the koalas yeah. um, rather than going through with a torch at night and saying, oh, there's one at this tree, X, Y, Z. I actually can't think why, how long that would take walk, walking around with a spotlight and trying to find exactly. koalas. Like, like, have, I, have I done that tree? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> yeah. Can you yeah. imagine what's in the forest while you're it's doing like, that too? Like, yeah. We don't think about that, Sean. We so do late, not think about that. <laughs> no. Late night in the forest by yourself and the sound koalas make when they're... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, oh, that's especially, <laughs> especially if you're up around somewhere like Belangolo in New South Wales. Oh. Some of that. And, Ivan, but, Ivan Territory. Ivan the last, yeah. last time I was doing a shoot in Belangolo, there was a bunch of um, black cockatoos flying around and the sound they were making was just mortifying. <laughs> <laughs> not again never doing it again <laughs> yeah. that's funny that's crazy so um geophysicist i think is what you said i can't even pronounce it so yeah geophysics so so what happened with that like you kind of graduated and you absolutely got nothing nothing <laughs> it's so, not it's not even on the wall here so like every um, good university course yeah so it was going to be great i was going to do a lot with it um but, but but how did you get into it like what made you start into that like you must have had a passion in something um so rocks of course rocks and yeah. the physics of rocks and how rocks move yeah um so a lot of that you know thermographic physics and uplift and the basically i just got really excited by it and I went into uni sort of to start with that. Um, probably towards the last year of that degree, I sort of started to noticing that downward slide. I was like, mm. do I finish it? Do I try and change? I'm like, you know what? I've had enough of uni. Get me out of it. Let's just power through and finished it. And then, yep, put that degree on the shelf and we didn't didn't touch it again until the start of this year where I used it. I've just I've started my master's in science. So I wow. used it to step me onto something that I actually want to do. So I'm doing um, Masters of Science in Agriculture. So I'm trying awesome. to lean on the precision agriculture, um, doing agronomy and sort of multispectral on the side as well. So obviously not that busy in ABCRM is running operations. No, no, of course not. No, no. Of course not. <laughs> yeah, just casually doing plenty a of, Plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. Part-time, of course. Part-time. Oh, yeah. Not a monster. Hey, you, you, just don't, you just don't sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a yes. few other people I know. No sleep, just work. <laughs> and you're you're one of the very few that tends to uh do a lot of uh events, or well, maybe virtual events these days, but um Virtual. soon to change. Um yes. yes, you're obviously a very busy lad, so it's good good to see the masters. Good luck. Yeah, cheers. See how we yeah. go. How long is that supposed to take? Uh, I think it's a year and a half full time, so it'll probably take me five years. I'd say mm -hmm. I'm going to do a summer, like summer sessions as well, so I might be able to do it in three and a half. Cool. Fingers crossed. Awesome. And what's the plan once you've got that? What's what's your what's your pivot? Are you pivoting, or what's your plan with that? No, I think um, I just want to be able to use it. So again, I've got the wildlife side in the background. We do um, through Serum, we do wildlife management plans for airports as okay. well. 
So I'm going to lean on it to do that and potentially do some more um, consulting work. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's integrated like grass management um, okay. for sort of it's sort of genetically modified grass seeds that deter pet birds. So wow. birds will eat the seed and they'll feel sick. So it's about planting that at airports so the birds don't come. That's wow. brilliant. Yeah. That is so that's quite a smart. Yeah. Super new space, um, um, but super exciting. That is very so, cool. So that guy so sitting the wrong way with the 22 is going to be out of work because of this genetically modified grass. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that because then I'll be out of one job. <laughs> as long as you don't hit the plane. So Yeah, exactly. So I presume it doesn't kill the bird, it just makes it uncomfortable. Correct. They just go, oh, I'd prefer not to eat that when I can go over here yeah. to somewhere yeah. else. It's like yeah. a bunch of people going to the pub and drinking way too much. The next day we feel horrible. We still go back to that pub. Very good analogy, actually. The bear's obviously smarter, Danny. They so. <laughs> <laughs> got the right idea. Yeah. That is awesome, man. So let's talk yeah. compliance, Isaac. Yes. My favorite, my favorite word. I love compliance these days. So we've uh, uh, we have we have a segment on some of the episodes we run, which is called uh, "Dummy of the Week," and uh, we show some uh, some silly things naturally. Excellent. So it was quite fitting to have you on and uh, talk about how we can help some of our listeners about um, what are the key things they should be looking learning, I guess. And uh, we obviously think the platforms are great, given we all use the platform. Um, where can we start talking about some of the basics for people entering the, you know, someone who's just bought their first drone? Um, what are some of the key things that you think they should pay attention to? Yeah, so for, for my, my honest opinion with entering the drone and the RPAS world um, is obviously around the licensing and the compliance side of things. So I think the key aspect is to find the right license or the right course that suits what you're doing. So if you want to get into excluded category operations, actually pick out a course that is for excluded category operations, that is purpose-built for your needs. Don't just go out and I'm aware that CASA do their accreditation course, which is great, but if you really want to invest and actually get a start in this sort of industry, get a course that suits you. If a REPL suits you and it suits you to get a licence, a remote pilot licence and an operator certificate, then do your research, find the right um, and a, a reputable trainer to do that. There are a lot of trainers all across Australia. There's a lot of really good ones. There are a lot of some not good ones as well. Um, do your research, talk to the people that um, have done it, get some experience and the, the, the REPL, the REOC, and the excluded category, they're all great. So you don't, you know, if you don't need to get an operator certificate, you don't need to get it. You can get excluded category. But it's just finding out what you're going to do and what you want to get out of your drone business. Solid advice. So really it sort of circles back around what we've sort of talked about, guys, in the last couple of podcasts is you almost want to choose a niche. Pick a niche of what you want to sort of focus on and, and go all in. Um, I think like we've, we've sort of said as well, there isn't that many people niching. Uh, we, we find the industry, we've all said it, the industry wants to be generalists in the drone world and it's it's not going to work like that. Uh, it's really not. And there's no. so much opportunity in so many different industries that we can apply this to. But I think if people look hard enough, there's definitely a niche out there for them. <laughs> yeah. So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Um, you can't go in expecting to be able to do a real estate shoot one day then do a multi-spectral inventory or a 3D processing the next day. Um, you'll be fending off quotes from a million different people who will do it for cheaper or mm. will do it for less or they'll do it quicker or they'll... Yeah. The, the niche, finding a niche is probably some great advice as well, like some of the best that I've heard because it's so important. Yeah. And it does take time. It's not something you just think of overnight like, oh, I'm going to do this for X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. Build to it, learn it, research it. You get a touch right as well. 
you really do need to invest. Once you figure out that niche, once you decide what you want to do, get the right gear for the job. Don't don't get something, oh, I'll make it work. Mm. Um, get the minimum you think you need. So if you can only start off with a Mavic and you want to end up on a 300, pick the Mavic that suits you. Pick the jobs that you can do and you know what, play to your equipment and your abilities, but you expect to invest well in your equipment and kit. It's yep. not a it's it's not a cheap business to get started out in technology. Yep. By yes. the time you bought something, something new comes out. Yeah. Exactly right. That's the disappointing part. But I think also yes. from investing as well, it's also investing your time and really honing 100%. in on the skills and the knowledge in that space. Like I know a lot of people I've spoken to is like, they're like, oh, I just don't have the money to go and buy the drone. I'm like, well, you don't have to have the fanciest equipment to go and do what you want to do. But right now you don't actually know how to do it. So go out and make mistakes and learn from your errors and build up from that. And then the more jobs you get, the more money you'll have to reinvest into better equipment. So I think that's... um, that's probably one of the more important parts is if you're going to niche down, you want to become the expert in that space. Um, and that only comes with just spending every day, every night reading, being part of the community, talking about it, asking questions and creating a, a I guess a, a community around you to sort of say, Oh, okay. Danny's the expert in that ties the expert in this. And, and then you, people will start turning to you for advice. Um, and then that's what you want. That's what you're trying to build at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> so with um, FCRM, I mean, we, we talked about obviously having your OC or with a, your Ripple. I mean, we've all done the whole spreadsheets and paper and all that jazz and obviously all use FCRM. How can, I think what our belief is, mine anyway i'll talk on my um i think it's a good there's so many things that the platform offers to get started and to say to educate people i think of you know a lot of the things we've talked about in the past is about just you know the amount of helipads or, or restricted airspace or you know the, the hundred other things got to be aware of which you guys do really well obviously um how do you kind of see that people should get started on that, that as well uh, initially or should they sort of go through that manual process and then then go onto a platform? Because, you know, get, like you said, you get the typical, oh, I don't really need it now, I don't have that many jobs. Uh, it's another cost, you know, the usual excuses we all make when we want to spend money. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a firm believer of start off with regulations um, because, you really going through your rep or going through your excluded category, you need to fully understand what you can and can't do. So the the, the joys of the, here's the shameless plug for AvCRM here, the joys of AvCRM, it tells you exactly what you can and can't do. You don't need to find it. You don't need to understand it because it tells you. We like our clients to be able to say, well, I can't fly here because of X, Y, Z having a firm understanding of the regulation, the legislation and like the advisory circulars and all that sort of stuff is really the basis of compliance and risk management. You can then use the tool of AvCRM to streamline your operations, bringing it onto a paperless system for it to do all of your records management as well as your compliance checklists. But having the firm understanding as that underlying sort of knowledge is so important. And and your have instead of having to follow the changes in regulation, that's your job, right? Correct. So, so that, that takes away yeah. compliance. We we comply to the regulations, so you don't have to change your processes each time CASA changes. They put out an AC. They put out an amendment to the regulation. So we build that into our workflow. So our workflow is designed, obviously, to maintain excluded. Or I would say mainly we do REOC operations. Um, we don't really sort of, we don't lean to the, um, like the recreational users at all. Um, the I would say probably 95 to 98% of our clientele are REOC holders. Um, some of them do REOC and excluded category operations as well. Um, obviously no issues with that. The system is built to handle both. Um, 
but yeah, it's really built to allow you to comply with an intuitive system that requires minimal effort from your part. Yeah. And it does. That makes all our lives easier. There's, you know, as Sean mentioned, there's no paper you have to deal with. It's everything's, you know, oh, in most it's, of the it's time, a one great. stop shop. Exactly. The one stop shop that it is 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 absolutely insane. Like I, I think it's awesome. It's, it's it definitely saves a hell of a lot of time. And uh, well, if people out there listening are doing it on paper, and I know because I did it on paper for a very long time, trust me, get on board. You'll thank us later. <laughs> absolutely. I think the other important part as well is. Um, from if you are starting to get your reoc and you've started fresh and you've you've freshly got it there, you do have to change your operation and procedure manuals. You can't just sign up to something and think you're all good because, again, those operation procedures and manuals is basically what we have to follow. It's the Bible for us. So mm. that's the benefit as well from um, AVCRM. Once you jump ship, there's already a preloaded system that we can, you can just basically adopt from your side and lodge it to CASA and say, this is what we're doing. So you don't have to go through that painful process if you decided to try and build out your own uh, procedures and manuals and manipulate it yourself. That painful process is eliminated once you sort of move over to a platform like you guys. So it does make your life so much easier though. It's, um, it's it, it like, you d- I don't think you can really understand how quickly you can, go from creating a job to approving it to them mm. flying compared to what it would take to do it on paper, trying to draw a map, trying to understand where things are and everything like that. It's just, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's, whilst you're talking about that map, the good thing about Avcrm is that all of the little compliance tricks that are within the regs. So every single operation that you do, you have to have obviously your GPS position, so your coordinates. You have to have the elevation of that site the maximum available altitude at that space as well as the first and last light times for that operation. Mm-hmm. So AvCRM automatically grabs those for you and puts it onto your paperwork. So, you know, you don't have to find those times at all. So we do all of those little quick grabs that we can do, um, the system like populating if your aircraft is serviceable, populating the ARN on your paperwork, all of that sort of stuff is done for you. So you don't have to um, fiddle with that, all that sort of stuff for each operation. So, so can you talk a little bit about the journey of FCRM? Because obviously mm-hmm. the software is quite mature today and I'm sure you guys got a roadmap of functions coming out over the next 12 months. Yeah. Um, what have been some of the challenges building the software? Because obviously dealing with a regulator that um, we all have to deal with from time to time and you probably more so than all of us. So are yeah. you willing to talk about it or do you want to stop recording? No, no, <laughs> let's let, let's get it out there, I reckon. Um, so in 2017 when I came on, Asterim was obviously a shell of what it is now. We didn't have maintenance. We didn't have, um, we didn't have the airspace calculator. So that airspace calculator was the first major build that I was a part of. So, as you as as you may be aware, currently there's no regulation saying that you have to use whatever data source for airspace that you have to use. You don't have to use an approved EFB, um, which is an electronic flight bag for aviation. Um, you just have to use a data source and be able to ve- verify it. So, AvCRM, we were the first application out there to use approved air services data. So we have a subscription with Air Services. Um, they're obviously the authority for Australia. Um, and back in the day, there was another company that came out with that around the same time, a little bit after us, which they also published the that first iteration of the CASA Can I Fly There app. Um, so now more and more people are doing it or they're scraping that box to sort of um, publish it as well. But that airspace calculator, the intricacies involved in that, even in its infancy, were enormous. And I think that took us almost six months to build that that first time. Um, and then we've gone forward and we've in- implemented other things such as the whole maintenance section. So the maintenance section within AVCRM is technically the same maintenance system for crude aviation, so for fixed-wing actual large-scale um, aircraft. It's because... Again, a, a CASA plug here. When they brought out the MOS originally, 
um, there was scheduled maintenance requirements to track the, the airframe, the motor hours, and the propeller hours for anything over two kilos. So you had to track how many hours on each individual propeller for an Inspire, an M210, M600, etc. However, I think it was three or four months before the regulations went live, they repealed that section very quietly, I might add. They repealed it very quietly and we'd already built it. So, mm. you know, we thought, well, we may as well. We've got um, clients that are obviously building their own crafts that have got the large heavy seeders and sprayers that have to use it because they're over 25 kilos anyway. So they have to follow those regs. But that's the sort of guidance that we get. So casserole just spit out an amendment or a new new regulation and AVCRM is required. So it's like, all right, well, we have to build this. We don't have an option now because if we don't build it, all of our clients will be non-compliant. Mm. So that's that's our roadmap, basically. CASA release regulations and and we fix it and we yep. build it, put our own spin on it, as we always do. Yeah. So what do you what, when you talk about um CASA spitting out a new regulation or variation of the regs, what do you think the motivation behind the changes are? Do you is it, is it more to be a little bit more cracking down on our operations, or is it a bit of both of they're loosening up because the technology is getting better. Um, we've got platforms like you guys that are supporting the industry to be able to streamline things. Like how, how is that? Do you know how that well, decision is being made? Um, I don't really know, obviously, the inner workings of CASA. Um, a lot of great people working there. Um, the, the issue, or not the issue, but what I see, I think it's evolving as we go. Mm. And there are some parts of regulations that are like, all right, well, we didn't need to go that intense such as the the maintenance side yep. well there's things they're sitting there like the instrument approach the helipad so a helicopter landing site that had a instrument approach you couldn't fly within three nautical miles mm-hmm. and then they brought that out or are they bringing that back in they're they're evolving and you know they're they're a small team honest yep. honestly they're a small team australia does have some of the le- some of the world's leading regulation within com- and compliance um, in the RPAS industry, we're definitely leading in a lot of that. But because of the speed that the technology is increasing and, and developing, some things that were valid, as you said before, Brendan, some things that were valid now in a two weeks' time, they're going to be invalid. Mm. Such a hard industry to work in, um, especially mm. the regulation of it. So I think CASA are doing a pretty good job. Um, uh, obviously, like the, the bringing out of the excluded category, the license and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of they are definitely fluid um, when they can be. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, definitely a hard space to work in. I'd say. Yeah, could imagine. Be like chasing your tail with the movement mm. of technology all the time. Something new is coming out every week, and I'd be pulling my hair out if I was them, to be honest. And you know, it'd be pretty hard to keep up to date. But I guess it's it's part of the deal when you when you got to deal with the drones and you're That's encompassing it. that in your workflows. Yeah. Do you think they're move, moving quick enough with for the RPAS industry? Oh, I, I, as, as the general consensus in the industry at the moment, everyone thinks they're still catching up. They're still chasing their tails a little bit. Um, the industry has just grown way too quickly for anyone to keep up with, realistically. Yeah. Um, I think they're still catching up. Um, they're still adding they're only just a few months ago. I think they hired another bunch of people. So they're catching up like they're doing now. So the auto- automated airspace, um, the approvals, and they're investigating the, the, the UTMs and that sort of stuff. So they're, they're definitely getting there. Um, but there's just so much to do. Yeah. And as I said, you're chasing, you're chasing you know, the advancements of technology. It's, it, cha- it changes that rapidly. It, yeah. it is a hard. It is hard to find that fine line. Well, with with people that are developing, they're obviously developing aircraft that can fly uh, thirty two hundred nautical miles. They're doing massive flight, but the regulations just can't cope with the technology at the moment. They can't handle it, and it's Ooh. just always going to be a problem. Yeah. How how do you see? I guess um, the drone delivery space and things like that going to be 
is it going to be sort of dragged out a little bit here in Australia? Do you think because the we are, I guess, I guess I call it harsh on the regulations and pretty strict, but it's probably a good thing. But it does hinder, a, I guess, workflows and you know evolving within the industry quickly. Uh, how do you see? Yeah. Like, I don't know if you're even dealing with people with from within the drone delivery space at the moment. Yeah, I would say that we tend to err on the side of caution. So, yes, we can mm. be harsh, but we're always going to be on that side of it um, yep. purely because of the potentials. As um, as all of us know, but as some of your listeners may not, any, any drone is classified as an aircraft. So anything, if you interfere with someone else's drone, you're technically interfering with an aircraft, which is a federal offence. Mm. So the penalties and the legislation that falls on these is massive. Um so when you, hear the stories, when you hear the stories about someone um, threatening to shoot down a drone, they're essentially shooting down an aircraft. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly right. But what I think with, I actually tend to think on the other side of these drone deliveries, I think we're doing some really good stuff, um, like the introduction of the air park that's coming up. So we're getting the dedicated, um, dedicated spaces that we can actually do testing. We can actually try mm. this sort of stuff. That that is what we need to be doing. We need to be stepping in that in that direction. Yeah. Um, we can't just you know base it out of Canberra because Cass is in Canberra <laughs> and say we'll operate. You know we'll operate in this suburb. We'll do this. We'll do this. We'll get grounded for three months because a bird attacked our drone. Mm. Um, that sort of stuff. We're building the dedicated facilities to allow us to explore this in that safe in the in, in, in an observed environment, mm. um, which is which is the only way forward. We definitely don't have many of them in Victoria, if any that I know. Yeah, so. oh, I know they had a couple in Queensland that not for testing and stuff, but just for recreational users. They definitely had them mm. in the Brisbane City Council area. Yeah, yeah, but I think as well, Sean, like here in Victoria, like I don't know too many people trying to push the boundaries of what the industry is doing. I might be living under a rock, but I haven't seen anybody sort of doing anything like drone delivery in Victoria or anything like that. So whether the, there is no one here in Victoria really trying to push that around here. Um, I know really the only thing I know that Melbourne's trying to do is the, um, is the uh, like the, um, uh, what is it? Uber for air. Yeah. I, I know they've yeah, been the trying to push that, it. but. Um, that's Isn't that, the aren't they building a test for that down there? I thought yeah, I read no. yesterday. So it's, it's out on one of the stadiums or something like that. It's going to be a flying play at first test in Australia. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Probably cool to see. Mm. I want to have a go. What's <laughs> one of the um the features, Isaac, you think in FCRM that you think is quite widely used and probably a must-have for or helped operators like us, do you think? Because obviously you, you get to see all the data. So yeah, well. Obviously, off the bat, the job management, job approvals, that's our bread and butter. That's where we started. That's where we came from. The maintenance section is widely used now, um, such as like all of the emergency services and, and all of the large-scale organisations these days, they're all doing their 50, their 100-hourly servicing. Um, obviously, as you guys would know, we released our flight sync um, feature yeah, about a month ago cool. now. Um, we did, I think it was 17,000 flights we synced in the first 24 hours. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember Jono asked me, it's like, oh, how many do you reckon we did overnight? I'm like, oh, I don't know, like 500? <laughs> He's like, no, 17,000. Whoa. Wow. So that's massive because obviously you're pulling the post-flight information from the craft and a lot of people, um, you know, we originally thought like a lot of people, all they just want to do is have a look at where they flew and, oh, this is cool. Um, but we took our spin on it and it's an audit trail. So we can now mm. see exactly where our pilot flew. We use it for post-flight, so breaches and regulation. We use it for maintenance issues. So if, it, um, if the aircraft actually threw a warning, or had a battery cell spike, um, that's what we rely on that data for. And you can export your KMZ files from there so you can sort of import overlays and a lot of cool stuff. So we, as Avserum always does, we take what's required and what's requested of us because everyone here um, and all, all other of our clients have asked for that feature for the last 10 years. Um, 
and you know it took us longer to do it because we wanted to do it properly we wanted to we didn't want to just give you a way to close out your jobs with an automated flight time we wanted to do it properly and give you a usable tool can you talk us through the flight sync and how that works if people don't really understand what that means yeah, so at the moment, what we, we've started off with, um, obviously, the DJI aircraft, purely because of market saturation. Mm-hmm. Um, in AvSirium, now what you do is you just link that DJI account that you use to fly the drone. And then after each flight, you just make sure that those flight files are synced with your DJI server. AvSirium will automatically grab those, populate them through onto the system. You can say, I'm going to close out job XYZ with flights XYZ, however many you've got. And that grabs your flight time, it grabs your batteries that you use for the job, and then all of your post-flight telemetry as well. So it gives you that extra level of compliance. Now, that sort of stuff is actually required for people doing EV loss and BV loss operations because you have to say, this is where I plan to fly and this is exactly where I did fly. Mm. So um, as I sort of mentioned before, our clientele is mainly the REOC side of things. And they are going for the extended visual line of sight now that CASA have made that a bit easier to get. Yeah. Um, so you don't need full IREX pilots um, yeah. for that level of thing now. So giving people the tools to actually um, compliantly manage that sort of stuff is is where we are and that's what we're mm. about. It's a good one you touched on there, EV loss and BV loss. Um, what are is that something that you're supporting through the platform or are you looking to sort of work on that? No, so we've um we've had people flying EV loss and BV loss for the last three years, um, maybe a bit longer, some of our clients. Um, but yeah, so we're fully capable of doing that, um, setting up and things such as you know, you have to separate your logbook hours for your operational types and all that sort of stuff. So you've got to have different columns, different rows. Absirum does that for you. So we're fully capable. You can create all your observers and your second observer locations. You can create custom JSAs or pre-flight checklists for that type of operation as well. And um, full risk management, probably the risk management section, uh, like risk assessments, et cetera, is another widely used feature um, that we built in as well. So I don't know if you're allowed to tell us, but what type of work are uh, are people using those sort of um additional licenses for like is it wind turbine inspections or farm ins- like you know mapping large scale areas everything, everything from from small business operation to defense contracting and testing of um like testing of new aircraft so we've got people doing ev loss bv loss we've got above 400 feet we've got antarctic operations we've got um like swarm operations as well. So that's another really big space, the swarm in the eggs sort of side of thing. That's that's an exciting space. Um, we've got we've got a few clients that are leading that charge there in Australia. So super impressive. And for I guess the people that are listening that have no idea what that means, are you able to break yeah, that down? Sorry. So swarm operations is the the license, the sort of the endorsement that you can operate more than one drone at a time because Standard aviation, standard RPAS, you can only operate one drone at a time. Swarm can allow you to operate up to five um, for an automated mission, such as aerial spraying of crops, um, et cetera. So that then will lead into eventually the drone light shows side of things. So the drone drone swarms when you've got thousands of drones. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we saw, I think, well, there's a recent video, wasn't there, when a uh, bunch of uh, drones started falling on top of people. Was that in China? Or something? Yeah, in China. Yeah. 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 Well, I haven't seen that, that one, and I want to see that. I'm <laughs> going to look that one up now. Yeah, including. <laughs> there's a lot of people screaming and running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe for the free and that's drone. A case, and that's a case of the technology expanding too quickly. So the regulation can't keep up because there's no regulation on, all right, well, 6,000 drones is probably too many. <laughs> yeah, a little. Without proper tried and test- tested um, procedures. Yeah. So, in this yeah. world records, most drones fall in at once. <laughs> yeah, probably got that one, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, terrible. Uh, so is there any, um, I guess, that sort of space is quite, niche and unique so mm-hmm. if we go back to our niche and choosing a niche if someone was trying to 
pick a niche and go, oh, okay, so that sounds quite interesting, but they're more um, interested in the light show side of things. Where would you say to start right now in that space? Would there be anyone to sort of lean on or is it start from scratch and see how you go? Pretty much. Um, as far as I know, there's probably that there'll be someone doing it and getting ready to release it in Australia. I know there's been a few guys talking of it, mm. um, but in Australia, I don't know of anyone that's officially started doing it properly. Um, that is that sort of niche that is so specific that if you could nail that operation, you would be booked out for the next 10 years. One of them's actually on this podcast, but I won't, I won't say who it is. <laughs> Good, yeah. yeah. Well, so there's a, there's a few other people that are sort of talking about it, but I would say get in there, get quick. There's a few people to talk to. There's one company in particular, a French company that have got the best drones in the market um, for that. So if that person would like to have a chat after this, feel free. Um, we've got some contacts for you. Um, but it, it, that that is a niche that you could do so well but would require so much working with the manufacturer, so much working with CASA because mm. obviously CASA haven't done this before as well. Yeah. So you're going to be learning as CASA learns. And it's going to include a lot of extra steps, such as the the SORA process, which is the um, the risk management process for BV's BV loss operations. So they'll bring that in as well, and um, it will be expensive. I guess is the final yeah. word I have to say. Yeah. On that. <laughs> but again, if you nail it, you'll make your money back so yeah. quickly. It'll be worth the investment. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it says, a lot of work, a lot of um, stakeholders to work with as well. Yeah, but again, yeah. I, I pressure that if that person needs a partner, hey. Have you seen sponsored? Yeah, we'll all have an AVCRM thing up here if that happened, I reckon. <laughs> Yeah. So you can just leave that serum out. They don't have yeah, time they don't have on the hats and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you can buy the space right here if you want. <laughs> no, oh, let's dear. not shamelessly plug the fact that we're selling any space around. <laughs> <that space. laughs> oh, we're not doing that Drones yet, down but... under, we sell out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone has a number, Isaac. Everyone has a number. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah, ours is just really high, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, hold up, you guys are getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, sorry, Danny. <laughs> sorry, bud. Yeah. You guys shouldn't have missed that meeting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so, funny. so, given um. Where, where do you kind of see the next sort of 12 months and three years, five years? Where, how do you kind of see the industry evolving, Isaac? Obviously, you guys have seen it working oh. with a number of different operators in the country and you know where everyone's pushing. So, again, coming into the industry, where do you think, um, you know, where where would the niche, what sort of niches should, should people, I don't even know if niches is a word, but we'll uh, yeah. use it. Look, I've got to be completely honest with everyone is that I can't predict where the industry is going to be in six months, let alone 12 months. I just, I, it's just so rapidly expanding. I think, I think it'll take the next 12 to 24 months for the regulations to sort of catch up and be agile enough to support the sort of industry that all of you guys are actually looking, you know, all of you guys are, are leading the charge in your respective fields um, in doing what you guys are doing. So I think it's going to take for the next steps where you want to go, I think it's going to take the, those regulations a bit to catch up and be sort of agile enough. We're looking at, um, you know, with the NEAT policy um, that came out and then all of that, the CASA and the government asking for input from industry leaders, government leaders in where they want to go, like, things like the introduction of a new licence category um, for emergency services and all that sort of stuff is, it's always been floating around on the table, but I think that will come into effect. Um, and I think that's where it needs to go. So emergency services, they can have, you know, maybe they've got their own CASA team that sort out their approvals because if they need to fly 
over a, the, the movement area of a controlled aerodrome because they've got a perpetrator on there with an like with a shotgun or something. They need mm. to do it now. They can't wait the twenty one days. And obviously that's a massive problem at the moment, but I think it's going to go that way and there's going to be specialties within CASA. Um, this is this is purely speculation as well, of course. Um, I don't have any insider knowledge here, but that's where I would like to see it go and that's where I, I do have a feeling it'll go that way to some degree. And the regulation chain will open up um, with that specialty and allow the operators to operate more smoothly, more efficiently in their specified niches. So agricultural space, 3D imaging space, defence contractors, et cetera. Mm. But do you think there might be um, an opportunity around if you wanted to be in the in this industry but not necessarily fly drones but actually be part of a CASA group, like you said, a specialised group that is emerging or, you know, do you oh. think there would be the there should be people thinking about that space, like they want to be a part of it but not necessarily want to be going out and flying, but there are other opportunities. Absolutely. Um, CAS is a great, sorry, CAS is a great place to start. Um, there are a lot of other industry groups like the AAUS as well um, that are advocating for the industry. Mm. Um, so it's a great idea to be a part of. You don't need to be an operator. You don't need to be a real estate photographer. You don't need to compete. You don't need to go out there and be on the sticks all day. You can become a specialist. So, you know, um, I, I use the example a few times to a few other people, but an agronomist could come in and specialise on the data. So they, mm. they subcontract out to someone else. Someone else will capture the data. They'll go and they'll fly that drone and that person will come in and analyse that data and specialise in suggestions and sort of reports on that. It's exactly the same in the drone space. Um, you can specialise like us at Avs here, and we don't fly anymore. Um, we fly for fun, but we know the regs inside and out. Yeah. And our our job is to guide our clients with, all right, Brendan, you want to do a facade inspection on something underground or beyond visual line of sight. How do we do it? All right, let's look at it. Where do we go? Yeah. So, you know, there are so many other companies and so many other people within the industry that are doing that already. There is no shortage of opportunity within that space. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps coming down so, to picking and choosing what you want to do and mm. honing in. But, the, but I guess one of the reasons <clears throat> we started this was a lot of that information isn't very well shared. Um especially us, we don't tend to talk about it unless we've got a network like we do, obviously, but we want to bring this stuff out because there are people wanting to learn the skills. And I think we all know there's plenty of opportunity for everyone. Um, it, it's like we sort of learn something and everyone goes, well, I don't want to share that. I'm going to keep that to myself. Exactly right. Darren is caring. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And a lot of us have been burnt before that we do share something and someone goes, all right, well, that's now mine. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and sprout that. So there are those people within the industry, as there are with anyone's. But I think this idea of this podcast and explaining what can be done, the potentials, and not just that, but actually showing people, all right, well, you know, this is how I got started. You, this, this might actually suit you, or you could take bits of my experience, bits of Brendan's, bits of Danny's, and away we go. Um, it's, it's what's needed within the industry to allow our industry to grow further and further as well well i think we're all sick of the the us pod uh you know podcast or youtube whatever it is but yeah we've got to bring our own stuff here so all yeah. faa we need to start talking about casa which is <laughs> yeah. what we're here which is what we're here for exactly so, that's all right so, so do we, do do we bring day. up do we bring up the most contentious uh rule that we wanted to talk about with uh with isaac and get his viewpoints bring it up oh, here <laughs> we we yeah under the bus I'll, I'll, I'll all right be ready to cut <laughs> and stop recording. It's all—it's only your opinion, Isaac. So just like ours, if you go for it, Danny, you might as well ask the question. And I already threw you under the bus for it. <laughs> the, the thirty meter exclusion rule is what we want—the one that yep. we're always getting. Um, so do you kind of see that? That's one of the most challenging rules for us and most frustrating rules. Mm -hmm. um, do you kind of see? Do you have any insights or do you kind of see where that might actually start to, because uh, 
you know, from from our perspective, we tend to do a lot of inspection type work, a lot of mapping. Yep. When you enter populous areas, it's highly challenging because it's the one that we can't seem to get around, uh, especially yep. when we are trying to do all the right things as operators naturally because n- none of us want to cause problems for ourselves or anyone else. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'd love to actually talk through that because we haven't solved it and we seem to be going around it all the time, right? It's not really improving yeah. anything. So. Yeah. All right. So um, for those of you who don't know that are listening, the reduced proximity operations is you cannot fly within 30 metres of someone who's not obviously related to the operation. Now, if you've got, say, for, your, the, for, the, for the film people here, the talent who you're going to take photos of, you can get them to sign a specific waiver that allows you to fly between 30 and 15 metres to them. Mm-hmm. So realistically, the closest you can get to a person of the operation being 15 metres, a random member of the public, 30 metres. Now, if you think about that, 30 metres, that's a long way. Mm. How are you going to get there? So that's why they brought that first waiver in. Mm. Now, I think there's good reason to have 30 metres um to start um because again a lot of the people out there um they've just got their license they've just picked up the drone they've done their minimum five hours required for a rebel and away they go and they don't realize the drone's facing west instead of east and they push full sticks forward and it's gone (laughs) and it's gone the wrong direction now i think what i want to see is that that license type an endorsement, so you've got your standard REPL licence or whatever it is um, that everyone can get, and then you can go for endorsements on top of that. Mm. And we link again to things such as um, above 400 feet and extended visual line of sight, having the equipment that's capable, so having multiple redundancies, so triple um, compasses or GMUs, et cetera, will allow that machine have that extra fail-safe. So there are people out there at the moment that are operating particular drone types that are smaller than the standard um, what you can get, Um, so smaller than your Mavics, that can get an approval to fly closer than 15 metres. It is possible. Um, Again, I'm not going to give out any trade secrets here, but I'm going to link back to what Brendan said about our operations manual. So that is your Bible. So whatever you have approved, so CASA approves your operations manuals, if you write a procedure that they then approve and say, oh, yep, that makes sense to us, we approve it, you can then operate by that. Again, your manuals aren't going to sort of override the CASA regulations and they're not going to trump them, but they're going to provide you that safe framework to operate. So you can get a letter of an agreement, you can get a special instrument to reduce that proximity, say um, everyone knows the the Hornet drone, so that little seven-gram um, mm. drone that the Army used. So I think they're, um, so something like that can be used because you're mitigating, it's all about risk mitigation. So if that was to hit someone, you know, the risk of that hitting someone versus an M600. So the M600 may have the lower likelihood because you've got the triple redundancies but you know if that's hit someone it's going to hit someone Mm -hmm. there goes the head head. (laughs) exactly right so i I believe um those endorsements will come um i don't know how soon i don't know how long it's going to be but i think that sort of regulation like we've got mining companies now that are getting letter of agreements to operate above 400 feet on specific sites for 12 months at a time so it's it's it it is evolving that way and i think we'll get even further with that um but i think you'll have to unfortunately sit tight for a little bit longer we're good Mm. at waiting (laughs) yeah but do you think um i guess going back to the the opportunities and if people want to get into the industry, if they don't want to fly drones but want to be a part of the industry, where do you think would a good place to start would be? Would it be trying to get into aviation of some sort or where do you think would be the place to start? Oh, I, I always say to people, play to your strengths. So if I was interested, so say I did my geophysics degree and I love that and that's what I lived and breathed, and then I was like, you know what, 
that's really cool because the Victorian EPA or um, someone's using a ground penetrating radar on an M600 is like, all right, well, I don't want to fly, but I can analyse the shit out of that data. Mm. So I'm going to specialise and I'm going to reach out to anyone operating that ground penetrating radar off a drone and I'm going to provide them with the best data analytics that I possibly can because that's what I'm good at, that's what I'm passionate at and that's where I can find it. So I always stress to people is figure out what you want to do and what you're good at and then how can you bring that into a different space? How can you be that niche or be that um, that that difference to the market? And And as... Everyone in our CRM says data is king. Data is the future. Yes. Any, anyone can get the data, but only certain people can do the right things with the data. And it gives you that historical view as well, right? No matter what you're doing, you can go back to that data and see what, what was happening exactly. back then. So, yeah. Exactly. That's quite very valid. Mm. Perspective. Right on, guys. Any other tidbits, Isaac, that we haven't covered? Oh, no. It just if you're not on AvCRM, get on it and watch this space. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening in the next three to six months. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming out. Speaking about getting some people onto AvCRM, I hear you have an offer for our um, for our listeners and viewers. Yeah, great. So um, what we're doing is we're offering anyone that's come through the podcast. There is a um, promo code, which Sean will remind me of shortly. Um, this promo code is valid for 50% off um, your first year of subscription. So if that's a sole user, you've got three pilots, if you've got five pilots, anywhere up to the first five, we're going to do 50% off it. Um, if you've got more than five and still want a discount, hey, just, just call us and um, tell us that the, the Drone Down Under boys sent you and we'll, we'll hook you up. But 50% off for the first year um valid through to the end of the year um so good stocking filler you know mm. get yourself yeah. some compliance for chrissy <laughs> and make your I life can, easy for we, next year we clearly we clearly all endorse it so i think just get on and do it and save yourself um <laughs> six to 12 months yeah. of mucking around yeah. um so the code and and we'll put it up obviously for the people on video it's uh ddup-50-off dash dash so right. we'll put up on screen as well. And um, and we'll obviously put the website, avcrm.com. So .net. Avcrm.net. <laughs> right onto it. It's, so, it's uh, on my book. It's on my bookmark list. So yeah. Good. Yeah. Tab. So if I have two letters and the whole thing pops up, it's amazing. <laughs> um, so Isaac, we have a little segment we're going to wrap up with called Six and Sixty. So you have 60 seconds to uh, answer six questions. Sean's oh, going to get the timer ready for us. Brace yourself, everyone. Short and sharp, Isaac. They don't have to be long. It's just, just going to make a quick decision. When you're ready, sir. All righty. In three, two, one. What's your favorite drone? Uh, Mavic 2 Enterprise Advanced. Nice. What's your favorite color? Yeah, but, but what's the African velocity of the spiral? I don't know. <laughs> Green. Don't ask us. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? I chop me in. Oh, good taste. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite car? Oh, Aston Martin um, DB9. Ooh, very mm. nice. This one's for Ty. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Yeah. Good man. Finally. Yeah. Lucky last, who's your favourite host? Oh, it's going to be me this week. Can't pick between all you guys. Appreciate <laughs> these questions up. They keep getting us on this one. Uh, <laughs> well done. Another guest, mate. He can't be a host. Uh, Just can't pick between you all. Yeah. Uh, Look at these faces. It's all the best so right? good looking. Someone will right. eventually just pick and be absolutely ruthless. It'll happen one day. We'll get someone. No, will for sure. <laughs> will for sure. So you, you just had five seconds, by the way. So well done. Ooh. Oh, man, why does, why does what is your favourite colour always throw everyone? Hey, it's not hard. <laughs> Photographers it's so hard. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, I I think that uh, pretty much wraps us all up. Isaac, thank you from all of us for coming on board. It's been a Sorry. pretty awesome day. Yeah, it's been a great chat. Yeah.
Thanks very I much. I've another Andrew. seven hours in me, so if you need, if you want, <laughs> I, could, I could go on after. We'll put your number right down here for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think yeah. everyone has my number anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, guys, thanks for having me on. I um, really appreciate it. Um, excited for what's next. What's the best way to get a hold of you, Isaac? Other than your phone number, we'll we'll put it probably down <laughs> we'll here. But, oh, um, <laughs> yeah. But if you if you jump on that at crm.net, um, there's a phone number, there's a live help, there's a support ticket, and there's an email. All of those come through to me. Um, okay. <laughs> take your pick. Um, I think there's a there's an address for a carrier pigeon as well. So I'll get oh, it. There you go. <laughs> we have approvals for that as well now. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on your pigeon. <laughs> okay. so, um, make sure you check the maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's leaking on the car again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good one. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, guys. See ya. Thank you. Okay.